This is Unfiltered, episode 312, from May 29th, 2020. So here it is. There's the fire. It does appear that that fire is the police station. Uh, you can see this now. Now, that, that is... That fire appears to be the liquor store across the road from the police station, but you now see smoke billowing out of the police station. Miguel, let's see if we can just get on that angle. It looks like the police station is now having, has caught fire. Ryan, it's a brick building. It's got two parts to it. The part we were standing in front of was the older part of the precinct. There's a modern uh, sort of an addition to it over here, and there are flames coming out of it. The third precinct, Minneapolis police station, is now on fire, Brian. Hello, friends, and welcome into episode 312 of your protest pacing podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm speaking to you a lot sooner than I thought I would be. Before I even had a chance to hit the road to go to Austin, things, as my grandmother would say, have gone to hell in a handbasket. So let's get started on what's going on on this special edition of Unfilter. There are major developments we are following as well. News tonight in the death of an unarmed African-American in Minneapolis after what authorities say was some sort of a confrontation with police. We have now obtained video as that arrest was taking place, and you'll see it tonight. There does not appear to be any struggle, and already millions seeing the searing video that we all saw last night here. George Floyd handcuffed on the ground, a police officer's knee on his neck, saying over and over again that he couldn't breathe. He was unresponsive when an ambulance arrived. This is video that has been played a million times now on the air in just the last three days. This is George Floyd, and he was murdered by police after being suffocated on the ground. We don't have all the details yet. It's so fresh. This morning is a little raw. It's been three nights now of absolute wild protests, and last night was the craziest. And now tonight, these images of the moments before the arrest. George Floyd being led from his car, but not appearing to resist in the images, as police had claimed. The incident already sparking protests and some clashes with police. Four officers have been fired, and tonight the mayor is now calling for the officer in that video to be charged. Again, the images are difficult, and ABC's Alex Perez in Minneapolis. Please! Please, I can't breathe! Please, man! This is the video that has been passed around and has been played just about in every news report now, nonstop. It's, it's hard to watch. Please! Please, I can't breathe! Please, man! Please, man! Tonight, as the world reacts in disbelief to this horrific video of a white officer digging his knee into the neck of George Floyd until he lost consciousness and later died, the mayor of Minneapolis is calling for that officer's arrest. If you had done it, or I had done it, we would be behind bars right now. President Trump addressing it today. A very sad event. A very, very sad, sad event. All right, so this was a couple of days ago. But the issue is, in our modern era, as often happens with these things that go down in public, video footage from different camera phones begins to emerge. New cell phone video shows officers taking George Floyd out of his vehicle. In surveillance video obtained by CBS News, a handcuffed Floyd is walked across the street toward a police car. So these different videos begin to land over the last couple of days, escalating tensions. In the distance, you can see them all fall. Three officers have Floyd pinned on the ground while another stands over them. You can hear Floyd pleading for air. Please let me stay here. I can't breathe. The officer who pressed his knee to Floyd's neck has been identified as Derek Chauvin. He doesn't let up until the 46-year-old's listless body is put on a stretcher. In a new report, the fire department says medics in the ambulance checked his pulse several times, finding none. The other officers involved have been identified as Thomas Lane, J. Alexander Kung, and Tu Tao. Ooh, and that main officer has quite the history. I think I saw somewhere it's up to 18 different past cases. But there's the emotional charge brought to this by the family of George Floyd as well. Tonight, the outrage in Minneapolis is mounting, even after four officers were fired. Was it enough for you that the officers were fired? That is not enough. That is not enough. He was a murderer. 
Crowds of protesters clash with police overnight, their fury fueled by that viral video showing the final moments of George Floyd's life. Here they are playing it again. What, what I want you to take away from this is we are in a confluence of accelerators right now. It is, it is more than a trifecta, but the top things that come to my mind are obviously the continuing issue of police brutality in this area, which is an ongoing problem and has been for years, that this is not the first series of protests here about police brutality or murdering. So you have that. Then you've got the fact that a lot of people are unemployed. They're angry. They got nothing to do. And they just been locked down for months. They have cabin fever. And then you have the general anger that has just been obvious in the public since Trump was elected. See, the left and the media will tell you that Trump was elected because of racists. Trump was elected because people are angry and no one trusts any of our institutions anymore. And they want to just break the system and start over. That's why Trump was elected. That's my opinion, obviously. But I think... I think as these types of things develop, this anger, this anger by black America, this anger by people that are unemployed, this anger by people that are sick and tired of nothing being done about police brutality, there's no tools left in the bag. All of it's coming together right on the heels of lockdown cabin fever. I mean, it's a, it is already an extremely volatile situation. So then you take these videos of the different angles that were captured by different individuals, and then you play it in every single clip and every single story, you're really going to get people pretty fired up. I mean, it's, it's just sort of everything coming together, it, it creating this whirlwind of anger. He begged for help, repeating, I can't breathe, at least a dozen times, while a Minneapolis officer pinned him to the ground, pushing his knee into Floyd's neck. I would like for those officers to be charged with murder. That's his sister right there. And uh, that clip also gets played quite a bit. Uh, the uh, mayor also had quite the emotional moment. Today, the Minneapolis mayor asked the prosecutor directly. I'm calling on him to charge the arresting officer in this case. Initially, police said Floyd had physically resisted officers after they responded to a reported forgery in progress. This new cell phone video appears to show the moment Floyd steps out of the vehicle. To Almost immediately, the cops start attacking him while he's in the car. I want to back up and pause it here, though, because this is touched on so briefly. A forgery in progress. Well, I can explain to you what that was because the store owner, store owner was interviewed. I don't know why I didn't grab the audio for this. I apologize, you guys. If anyone can find the interview of the store owner talking about this, please link it at unfiltered.show slash discord in the clips channel. I know it's out there. There's just a lot. There was so much going on that I did clip a lot, but I missed that one. Um, but what the store, store owner says is he's the one that reported it. He reported the crime in progress. Floyd used a forged $20 bill, a fake $20 bill. Monopoly money. Now, there is no evidence to indicate that he was aware there's no evidence indicates that George Floyd intentionally was using counterfeit money. There's no evidence of that. It just happened. Maybe somebody gave it to him. Maybe he was intentionally doing it. We don't know. But it is the store owner's responsibility to report it. So that's what they were showing up for, was a reported forged $20 bill. That's what started this entire thing, a forged $20 bill. Two officers restrain him. Then, this security footage from a nearby business obtained by NBC News shows officers walking him across the street in handcuffs. Minutes later, this other surveillance video shows the group of bystanders pleading for officers to let him breathe. Why is it that people of color, especially black men, even when there's an allegation of a nonviolent crime, are met so violently by police officers in America? The 46-year-old Floyd played basketball in college and lived most of his life in Texas, working as a truck driver and security guard. If you got a chance to know him, you would have loved him. 
LeBron James posted this image on social media of the officer kneeling on Floyd with former quarterback Colin Kaepernick kneeling in protest of police brutality. Lawyers for three of the officers and the police union declined to comment today. The other officer's attorney has not responded. <sighs> they love to play. That's the third time they played that video clip. And people should be upset about it. Um, even if he was intentionally, because I've seen some coverage saying that uh, George Floyd had uh, used forged $20 bills in the past, attempting to pay for things. I don't know if that's true or not. It's hard to tell. I think that's irrelevant. It just, I mean, it doesn't, it just doesn't, the, the, the scale just, they immediately almost start attacking him as soon as they walk up to his vehicle. Once they get him to open the door, it, it, it's, it's, it just goes, it just goes down from there. It's just, it's really something. And you combine this in a place where this has been an ongoing problem in this area with the general gearing of the public at this moment. They, they want to be heard on, on, a, on a range of topics, but particularly this one. When I looked at the crowd, this is, I, so these were live streams I was capturing. Impressively, NBC, amongst others, like The Guardian, just put raw streams up on YouTube that I could watch for hours. Sometimes they'd change what was on them. This is a feed from New York. And what I noticed about these protesters is they seem to be learning from each other and and the internet or something is actually being utilized by our kind to learn and spread information. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, I noticed uh, that uh, people are walking around with spray bottles of milk now. This is something we saw come down in Hong Kong is they would walk around with spray bottles of milk so that way they had a counteractive to this pepper spray. So you get, oh, 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 my God. You know, getting sprayed in the face, right? Somebody walks up, they spray you in the face again, but this time with milk. So you got people walking around with milk bottles, spraying people in the face after they get gassed. It's clever and <laughs> makes for some funny pictures. Um, but that was something I noticed started happening in Hong Kong. Now you see it here in these multiple cities. I think that's fascinating. A couple other things I noticed that seem to start um, in Europe and Hong Kong and other places. I mean, it's been here too a bit, but a lot of the groups had these powerful green lasers to block cameras. Some blue ones too. And they're they're pointing them at facial cameras while uh, another group of guys will go over and knock the pole down that has the camera. I saw that happen. Uh, but mostly they were pointing them up at the aerials like drones and helicopters and whatnot. Uh, and it was definitely not just all black people there protesting cops. It was all walks, all shapes, all colors, all types were out from all different backgrounds. Kind of crazy with some of these audio feeds. The one that I found really great was um, the MSNBC feed because one of their anchors was really down in the thick of it. I mean, I was, I was, I gotta say, I will give the media a hard time. But these guys were down there, and gals. <clears throat> CNN had had a, had a had a quite a situation happen on air, uh, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but during the peak of it, like when the fires were being lit last night, as I record this, and the and the precinct was being burned down, the mics were open. These feeds were just the raw feeds from the cameras on location, the ones that would be brought in to the to the to the network broadcast. And then, you know, so it'd be one of the network anchors, like Wolf or Brian Williams, and then they'd pull up this ground feed from time to time. But they were live with wireless constantly. So I could, I heard people coming up to them and, you know, yelling at them. I heard people coming up to them and being starstruck by them. The whole, all different types. But you just, there were times where they just set the cameras down on the ground and walked off and did something else. And you just see like a wide shot of from like pretty much up to everybody's like midsection. <laughs> but the cameras and mics were rolling. And or sometimes like the camera guy would be walking to the next position, camera on the shoulder, just walking. And uh, they'd, they'd switch to that feed. And, you'd see, and it was really something. Because what I noticed in that was there was a moment where 
a group of firefighters walk up to put out a car fire. And um, up until this point, every time any authority figures walked up, you know, it's a huge confrontation. But this group of firefighters walks up and everybody's pretty chill. Like they, they were, you know, didn't really do anything at first. And in Los Angeles, in one case, they were even hugging the firefighters. The firefighters are at such a different position with the protesters than the cops are, which sounds obvious when I say it now. But when you're sitting there watching it, and my gosh, you guys, I was so decked out with streams. I have these tall, I have two tall 27-inch vertical monitors that were just laid out with different feeds. It was amazing. And I would switch between which one had audio going. And when I saw the firefighters thing come up, I my heart sunk. I thought something was going to go down. Like, I thought, oh, no, not firefighters, right? But no, like, the protesters love firefighters. They were giving them hugs. It was really something. Um... So I had a big sigh of relief when I saw that. They seem to be loved by the crowds, which is such a stark difference than their reaction to the police, where it's like, okay, here comes a situation where people are going to get gassed. Something's going to happen here. But the lasers thing I thought was pretty funny because you could tell it was really pissing off the media. And you'd see some really pretty lasers cutting across the sky because there's so much smoke. Uh, But at one point, they had to address it. I want to reference something we just saw but didn't uh, point out. Uh, Right before our aerial shots went away, uh, you might have seen the periodic flash of a green laser. Um, Often, and we've seen this in protests, especially in Asia, some in France and parts of Europe, protesters have used lasers to blind any facial recognition, police technology, or generally to try to blind and dissuade approaching police officers. Uh, I fear in this case, when you aim it at an aircraft, it can be highly disorienting. It, Ryan Williams, helicopter expert. Uh, the, the laser beam fractures inside uh, the cockpit and uh, creates such a reflection, it is very hard for pilots to do their job and keep... Flash forward 15 years, and the story will be that Brian Williams was in that cockpit. Get it? Do you remember because Brian Williams lied about that? Their orientation. So I am, I'm just wondering aloud if that's what happened to our aerial shot or if the MPD just said uh, police helicopter, uh, television helicopters should clear the airspace. Ali Velchi is out. Ali Velchi, that's it. So you can hear the crowd in the background. And I want to leave this bit in for you because this is some of the feeds that I was seeing and how, and really these guys legitimately were in the thick of it. And you'll hear people, you'll hear people cast this as, oh, they're filming their live movie. I actually saw that. I heard that one this morning on a clip. The media is out there filming their live movie. It's not quite fair. It's not 100% wrong, but what it is is the media is constantly hunting for the best shot, the most visually interesting thing they could be showing you, the thing that will get their pictures, their clips across the front pages of websites. It's just the way they work. And I that was totally bared out in watching these feeds. When they weren't on camera officially, they would often say, all right, well, I think this is a better shot down here. If we keep going down to the left, I think the shot just keeps getting better. Hey, make sure you frame this because, you know, like that. that is the conversation because at the end of the day, it is a production, but make no mistake about it. These guys were in the thick of it. Side, the storefront we see right there fully involved, Ali. Yeah, and, and so just to give you a sense of positioning, this this smoke shop, then there's a liquor shop, then there's the street, and the police station is right across the road. So we're 500 feet from the front of the police station. There are fires burning in different directions around me. There's another fire over there. You can see from the aerial shots. And to your point a moment ago, I have seen lasers in the last few minutes. Uh, I don't know what they're doing. Now, just to, you're, you're, you were talking about traffic around here. This street right here is open. There's no police presence, as Morgan said. There's no one stopping anybody. Barricades were put up on certain streets around the area, but it doesn't matter because people just move the barricades. There's no police. No police is something that was echoed constantly by him and by CNN anchors and others that were on the ground. The police during the this really kind of crazy time when things were burning and looting, the police decided the best action was to pull back. They evacuated their precinct and they let the protests go. 
They didn't want to make the situation worse. Not the same approach used in different places. In fact, in Union Square, they they were very quick to bring the police in. Those uh, demonstrations here in our area, dozens of people gathering in Union Square. We are told there have been five people arrested. Eyewitness News reporter Jim Dolan just arrived at the scene. He's got the latest. Now, the New York crowd wasn't as big, probably in part because of the quick clampdown of the cops. There was really kind of groups of dozens. And within those groups, you know, five people would get arrested. So it's a pretty high ratio compared to the other places. And it wasn't just New York, of course. There was protests happening in Los Angeles. So demonstrators gathered here in L.A. tonight, trying to draw some concerns over that death, but it, too, quickly got out of hand. In downtown L.A., a support rally this evening by Black Lives Matter near the Hall of Justice began peacefully. Within minutes, though, several hundred protesters march onto the 101 freeway, holding up signs and halting traffic. A CHP cruiser is quickly hemmed in and demonstrators block its forward movement. Several of the protesters hit and kick the vehicle. Others jump onto the hood as it moves forward. Then as the officer accelerates, people hop off, except one man who tumbles off onto the pavement. As a second CHP unit goes to check on him, people attack that car, at one point throwing a board through the back window. Firefighters eventually arrive to treat the man who was helped to his feet and placed on a gurney to the delight of the crowd. Now, Denver also had a outbreak of protests that really kind of started more in the early evening with some kind of ridiculous shenanigans going down with a lady trying to hit a guy with her SUV, specifically turning her car into him to try to get him going out of her way to try to injure the man. But into the evening, the police were doing really significant patrols. They take, it was really something actually, they would take their um, big SUV, their biggest police SUVs they had, all decked out in lights, and then they lined up all around the outside of the SUV, like on it while it was going down the road. The cops were on the SUV, on the outside of the SUV as it was going down the road. Um, I assume there was cops inside too, all loaded up in riot gear and guns, really making their presence known. And what was funny is by, um, I don't know, maybe 10 p.m. Pacific time, uh, Denver looked pretty empty to me few folks out with their lasers, but other than that, it was kind of just the cops really scaring the hell out of people that were just out there walking for the evening. Um, but there were moments in Denver where things got heated. Outrage across the nation, and tonight, Coloradans are joining the fight for justice. I can breathe. But tonight, the march through downtown Denver turns violent. Shots fired in the capital, protesters stopping traffic on I-25, parked cars vandalized, and dangerous moments as a protester is nearly run over by a car. Reaction from Denver's mayor in the last 45 minutes. I certainly understand everyone's frustration and sense of pain. And local law enforcement are sharing their own thoughts on the death of George Floyd. Boy, they're really uh, playing it up with that music, aren't they? Just uh, having a good old time. There, <laughs> there was um, not quite the same volume, though, as there was in Minneapolis. And the, the iconic moment that was shared all around the world. I have colleagues that work in um, Australia and in London, and they saw, I think, initially some of the early pictures when they woke up were this precinct, the third precinct in Minneapolis, just burning. And it was such an iconic picture because, again, the media was constantly looking for the best shot. And they got it. They got it. Look at your album art. You'll get an idea of it for this episode. It's, it's perfectly framed. You can see the name Minneapolis, flames coming out the front of the police building, and protesters celebrating the victory standing in front of it on top of what I presume to be cop cars. Really powerful moment. And I think it was a symbolic moment for the protesters as well. This is the third precinct here. There are fires burning to the left of it at the uh, wine and liquor store uh, on your left. But back in the back of the precinct, you are hearing people throwing things against the, the walls, against the glass, against anything they can. And now the fire alarm, you'll see it flashing inside of the third precinct, behind the third precinct, just behind it is a, a fire that is, is billowing and has been going for a few minutes now uh, really strongly. But you hear people cheering every time 
they get through one of the windows there uh, with whatever it is they're throwing. It sounds like they're throwing. You can see uh, pieces of concrete. Uh, there's someone climbing up the wall right now of the back of the third precinct, um, kicking the window in, trying to climb up the wall. People are trying to get in the building. We're listening to people say that they're trying to get into the building. There is now a person who, excuse me, sir, there is now a person who is going and trying to get physically into the third precinct there at the bottom of the precinct. Now, at the very top of the precinct on the other side, there were police officers who were inside of that. The fires are getting closer and closer and closer to the third precinct. That is the wine and spirit store, the Minnehaha wine and spirit store here uh, that fires is on fire on the other side. Uh, but you're also seeing now smoke billowing from inside of the third precinct. You see that white smoke billowing outside of that, and you also see that fire alarm going off. Now, we know that there were officers... They eventually start throwing more things onto the fire to get it to burn and burn and burn. And what she was about to say, though I cut her off, is that there's still no police presence. Uh, something they just remarked on constantly because I think they were a little scared. They had private security, the media, but... Um, there's just sheer numbers, and there were absolutely moments where uh, the reporters got surrounded. <laughs> Everybody was um, combative to some degree, but not um, hostile. Like, they didn't shove, they didn't push, they didn't hit. It was just, hey, you know, you're not helping the situation kind of stuff. You're part of the problem kind of thing. But eventually, the police did show back up, and... That turned out not to be so great for the CNN. Their uh, CNN anchors, their great saviors, ended up arresting them in a really awkward kind of way. Right now, give us a second, guys. He's we can move back police. to where you'd like. They're all in riot we can gear. Move back to where you'd like here. We are live on the air at the moment. So this is the four of us. We are one team. The state patrol isn't saying anything. Just. Put us, put us back where you want us. We are getting out of your way, so just let us know. Wherever you'd want us, we will, we will go. We are just getting out of your way when you're advancing through the intersection. Nothing like a nice, compliant media, right? So just let us know, and we got you. Not that I wouldn't be doing the same thing in that regard. And you want to know, too, to be, you want to know where to go to be safe, because God knows what they're about to do next. The cops don't say anything. They're and, just surrounded. Uh, this is a scene here playing out in Minneapolis. This is part of the advanced police presence that we saw come over the course of, of really minutes when the local police showed up at the fire department or with the fire department, I should say, on that building we showed you that was burning. So he is actually being restrained at this moment. Uh, this man is the definition of a professional right here. Nobody um, has held their cool on air during this entire thing like this man. Um, he is in the process of being restrained by police. He is surrounded by, I would say, half a dozen police in riot gear. And then behind him, no joke, a, a few feet, but it's still just behind him, maybe, uh, I don't know, 175 cops in riot gear watching him. This is the situation this man is in as he continues to speak to the camera. At the fire department, or with the fire department, I should say, on that building we showed you that was burning. This is among the state patrol unit that was advancing up the street, saying and scattering the protesters at that point for people to clear the area. And so we walked away. I'm sorry? You're under arrest. Okay. Do you mind oh, whoa, telling whoa, whoa, whoa. me why I'm under arrest, sir? Why, why am I under arrest, sir? Okay. You are arresting him live on CNN. We, we told you before that we are with CNN. If you're just tuning in, you are watching our correspondent, Omar Jimenez, being arrested by state police in Minnesota. We're not sure why our correspondent is being arrested. Hang he... on one second, Allison. Let's listen into what these officers are saying. They don't say anything. He interrupts her for no reason at all. Ah! 
and they carry him off to the police vehicle. Uh, eventually, they also arrest the cameraman. That is an American television reporter, Omar Jimenez, being led away by police officers. Uh, he clearly identified himself as a reporter. Uh, he was respectfully explaining to the state police that our CNN team was there and moving away as they would request. And then for some reason, he was just taken in to police custody live on television. Uh, I'm sorry, I did not mean to interrupt you, Allison. I just wanted to hear, uh, listen to see if we could hear more from the officers, the state police, as this is going on. Yeah. And now they begin to arrest uh, the cameraman. We're trying to see what's going to happen, John, obviously, to the rest. I'm about to, guys. Uh, we were just out here reporting um, the closure of the streets. They just, uh, Omar was just arrested. He's freaking out. Uh, I believe they're about to... Um, they're all about to be arrested. That's the He turns around, producer. films the rest of the crew getting arrested. Uh, Our CNN producer I'm, is I'm being... I'm probably going to be taken in a minute. Our I, CNN camera crew and our producer are being arrested right now on live closure. television in handcuffs. I've never seen anything like this. Why, guys, why, what are you, Allison. Why, why are you arresting us? We're just passing along the message, your message. You hear what he says there? I appreciate this guy's freaking out. And he doesn't want to be arrested. But that's... Boy, I don't like hearing that. We're just passing along the message. Your message. We're just out here doing our job as well as you are. Yeah. I mean, I get what he's saying, I think. But it also makes it sound like he's essentially saying we are just out here passing along the state message. We're just passing along the message. Your message. He's arrested. Now, what's incredible about this is, once again, because the way these, these cameras, must, they, must, I, they must be using some LTE multi-network streaming. You know, there's several of them out there now where you combine multiple LTE sims and you create a stream that goes back to the, to the office because they left the camera running. They, they never turned off the camera. And even while the camera was in the cop car going down the road, it was still running. It's remarkable. But we do have some breaking news on the situation involving the CNN uh, reporting team. CNN President Jeff Zucker just spoke with the governor of Minnesota, Tim Waltz, who says he deeply apologizes for what happens. He is working to have the CNN team released immediately. It was totally unacceptable and totally inadvertent what happened. They clearly had the right to be there, the CNN team. We want the media there to cover this. It is never acceptable for this to happen. I love how many F-bombs sneak out on the air during these protests. I mean, it's every couple of minutes. Had the right to be there, the CNN team. We want the media there to cover this. <laughs> I personally love it because they freak out so much about that. Um, yeah, okay. So they uh, they eventually get the guy back on air, and uh, he still had his composure. I mean, the guy was a real professional, and it made for great, great air for CNN for that. I mean... Boy, I bet they were pretty pleased about that. I mean, obviously, it sucked there for a brief moment. And that cameraman really lays it all out there when the, when, when the cards are out, doesn't he? The cards are down. He just, he'll tell you what it is. Uh, no bluffing on that guy's part. Anyways, I think I need to address the elephant in the room about these protests. Uh, because last night was really a lot more violent than it had been previously. And for the, I don't know. At least for the early part of these, remember this is like a three-day event now at this point. At first, it wasn't really violent. It was people blocking traffic, uh, you know, signs. It, it didn't turn violent. But the internet right now, as I record this, is asserting there was a moment where things turned violent. An event provocateur, if you will, uh, known as Jacob Peterson or Peterson. Now, this is all alleged and likely not to be true. So this is how internet justice tends to work. But this is where everyone's at right now. They say he's a dirty cop, in part fueled by 
images that were confirmed by his ex-wife as being him. So this is really when this thing got into the next gear is when his ex-wife came out. <laughs> Which can you, if just for a moment on the side, if this isn't true, can you imagine? That's uh, that's gonna maybe um, be some bad blood now. Um, but his ex-wife says, "Yeah, that's him in the pictures." Now, what what I'll play for you is is audio. I have links to the video. But I, I'll, I'll walk you through this. Imagine a man, a tall, tallish man, walks up in, it's a type of outfit, I'm not familiar with it, but it's essentially like a black hazmat suit with a hood, it's like a rubber, all black, brand new, looks really nice, all black hazmat looking suit with a black mask with purple aerators. Really kind of feminine looking purple aerators, actually. Like, like you know, if somebody was making a ladies gas mask. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and... Very odd because it was a beautiful, warm, early summer day, late spring. It he had an umbrella, a bra- a black umbrella, which really made him stand out. And because it's the age of smartphones, some guy who sounds like a real piece of work was filming this guy and his buddy out there with all the protests when he walks into frame. That's why I'm doing this, you guys? What the? He walks up and very just kind of casually walks around and starts breaking the giant glass panels of a AutoZone store. I ain't got part of that shit. Our brave cameraman here uh, begins to uh, already nope out being the citizen hero that he is. But thankfully, others almost immediately begin to swarm in, including, and I couldn't bank this up, a black gentleman who is carrying a pizza box and smoking a blunt. He puts himself between the guy in the black outfit and the windows. He moves around and continues to try to break the glass. More people walk up, tell him, hey, you got to stop. Oh, I'm, 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 I zoomed in. I'll, I'll zoom out a little bit. Those cops will come for you if you're pulling that crap. So then the crowd shoos him away, tells him to get out, go away. And the guy kind of turns around and begins to quickly walk, not run. And it's so weird because he's an all black slim figure with a black umbrella with these purple aerators, pinkish purple aerators. So it really is just this, it's this strange mental image. And he begins to just quickly walk right back the direction he came. But at this point... The crowd that is there, they're pissed. They didn't want anybody doing this. They're upset, so they begin to follow him. They're screaming at him to stop. So the guy carrying the pizza box tries to stop him, and he says, you want to go? I'll fight you right now. <clears throat> That's what the black, the guy in the black outfit says to the guy carrying the pizza box, smoking a blunt. If you want to fight, we'll go right now. He just came with a hammer and smashed the window. Yeah, you know, I'm going to fight you right now. You want to you go? What's up? So he says, all right, let's go. What's up? And then he asks for people to hold his blunt so he can fight this guy. Somebody hold my blunt. Hey. Somebody hold my blunt. Hey, hey, hey. And then the guy starts taking off. Are you a fucking cop? And the internet's assertion is, is that this is the moment that things went from people walking around smoking blunts, eating pizza, to getting violent. And they assert that it was a cop, a dirty cop. Now, we have to acknowledge right now, very, very possible, completely unlikely. Additionally, we will never know if it was true. Unless the universe net splits on us and we end up in a copy that is much more reasonable than the current version we are in, we're never going to find out. We'll never know. The Internet is convinced that it was him, but the St. Paul Police Department says it was not him. They say no. He wasn't our guy. Now, others are responding, saying those umbrellas are a clear tell to other cops, saying, I'm one of you. I don't really have a position. I don't think... This changed it. I think the assertion that this one guy went in and broke a couple of windows and that what's, that's what turned everybody violent is um, a scapegoat. It's a scapegoat. People are violent because they're angry and there's no other lever they have left to pull.
That's why that things got violent, and that's why that precinct burned. The looting, well, that's just people jumping in on a good time, isn't it? Oh, America. So this morning, things are a little different. You heard there in a clip earlier, the state patrol came in, and they are creating a wall. And they like a video game strategy type overview game are moving forward on the board bit by bit every few minutes. And as they move forward, they they create a complete wall of cops several layers deep. And then behind them is the National Guard on top of large vehicles. So you can see the National Guard up above rows of cops, and they're progressing steadily forward down the streets to reclaim the territory towards the precinct. Christian Cordero is live in Minneapolis now. And Christian, I know you've had to move just in the past couple of minutes as the state patrol has come through. Where are you now and what are you seeing? Yeah, Heather, we are really trying to find that delicate balance between showing you what we're seeing and still respecting what the State Patrol is asking, which is to move. Uh, we're on Lake Street right now on 31st Avenue, and they are, I believe, pushed up to 29th right now. Every few minutes, and you, we might get interrupted by it, uh, the National Guard, which is behind State Patrol, you can see them on top of the uh, campers up there, and then maybe about 100 officers um, from Minnesota right in front are asking, telling people, really demanding that people push back. They march and they say, move forward, move forward. Um, and then we hear on the loudspeaker that you are in violation for uh, for um, assembling in an unlawful place right now. They are trying to push people out of this area near the third precinct. The third precinct, for reference, is just maybe about, what would you say, about two, three blocks um, west uh, down Lake Street, where we are right now. So they're blocking that off just about uh, 10 minutes or so ago. We were live. Um, basically, if you make an L shape, go down straight where you're looking, and then we're behind the cops. <clears throat> there's the National Guard. Behind the National Guard, there's the fire department. And the fire department is hosing towards the protesters on the sidewalks, blasting the sidewalks, and getting the protesters. Now, uh, as uh, I record, this is early morning in the uh, Northwest. It's uh, just after about 9 a.m. on the East Coast. So um, I'll put this out early this morning as I can. It'll probably come out about midday just because of encoding and whatnot. But I want you guys to have the latest on that. But that's all I have at this point. Uh, I would like to hear your takes on it in the Discord. So please do jump in there and show me, share any good clips you think you can find. I think this is a great chance for the community to kind of come together on this one and crowdsource as much as we can on these feeds because there's so much happening at once and a lot of the times there's things that come up during the early development of these stories that don't ever come up again <laughs> that's something i really learned uh, is you'd think that everything would be on the internet forever but a lot of times it's the goodies are buried in these longer videos um if they ever make it online at all and so generally processing them in real time as they stream is the best way to do it so if you catch something or notice something, please do share it in the Clips channel. And then tag me if it's something really juicy. While, while I have you, though, uh, I want to take a, a moment and talk about Trump and Twitter. And I have some thoughts about this that I think are not exactly in line with what most people are talking about. So uh, I'll just play a little bit of that for you, too. Um, obviously, there's still more to develop here. I want to also mention that this is a special edition of the show. That uh, is something I committed to you guys uh, when something breaks and I have the availability. Thankfully, I was up early. Watch, I was up late and basically up early. Got a couple hours of sleep because I wanted to get up and get this out to you guys. I will admit something to you right now, actually. But first, before I tell you what the super embarrassing thing is, I'm going to plug the Patreon at patreon.com slash unfilter. I'm here trying to document the people's history for you as it develops. I'll circle back on this story and give you the more zoomed out perspective as we have time for this to bake. But I wanted to get you in the thick of it now. This is what it is, as close to the ground as I can get you. And I think that's important for us to have this record because some of these stories, some of these things, some of these details may change. Anyways, 
under, end of plug, but that's why I think this one of the reasons the show is important, and I hope it demonstrates my commitment to you at patreon.com slash unfilter. I'd appreciate a commitment from you as well. All right, now the embarrassing thing that is 100% genuine. You'll just have to believe me, though, because I'm not sharing any pictures. Uh, I am I am doing this in my robe. Never done that before. I've never done a podcast. 15 years. I've never done a podcast in my robe as far as I know, as far as I can recall. But this was a special event, and I wanted to get the I wanted to get get the the whole thing as it went down, and grab the morning reactions on the East Coast, and then package it all up for you as quickly as I could. So, you know what? There'll be time for a shower and getting dressed before work starts yet. So <laughs> I just I really am, and you know what? I kind of like it. I think I could make the argument that the robe has sound absorbing properties. Oh my gosh! There's a production reason to do a podcast in a robe. <sighs> This is big. This just made the whole show worth it for me right there, that realization. Okay, what's going on with Trump and Twitter? Is this the greatest Trump feud yet, or is there some meat on this Twitter bone? We turn now to the feud between President Trump and Twitter. The president is expected to sign an executive order today, taking aim at the social media giant. And now Facebook's CEO is weighing in. ABC's Inese Lacatera reports. This morning, President Trump stepping up his fight against social media platforms. The White House confirms the president will sign an executive order pertaining to social media, but is not elaborating on what the order will say. Mr. President, what are you planning to do with Twitter? On Wednesday, Trump accused social media sites of treating conservatives unfairly and even interfering with the election, tweeting, we will strongly regulate or close them down. He later added, big action to follow. The threat comes after Twitter took the extraordinary step of adding a fact check warning on two of the president's tweets about voting by mail in California. Isn't that funny? After we just had that that uh, segment about uh, Nunes and the ballot harvesting and how Devin argued against it in 2019 and is now saying this is what we're doing in 2020. And I went into the background of why that is. And and. That seems to be the genuine, perhaps, concern, ultimately, around these, well, well, I shouldn't say ultimately. That that tends to be one of the more actual legitimate concerns. That's the way I'll put it. I think there's reasons, strategically, the Republicans don't like it as well. Got to acknowledge that. But I think um, if you were to give a legitimate criticism of vote by mail, it may be this ballot harvesting stuff. I don't know. Could be off on that, but seems like that was just it's just what a coincidence i had no idea this was going to erupt like this because obviously trump doesn't uh, run his tweets by me before he makes them but i have a sense that this was sort of a an un an unfriendly truce that had been called between two groups that have a lot of power twitter and the president's office and i think Twitter has been under significant pressure for years now since Trump was running for president, since I would say the day he announced his <laughs> candidacy. Um, they have been under intense extreme pressure, more so than is generally, I think, been applied to companies as young and new, et cetera, et cetera, um, to, to censor him, to legitimately censor him. And it really came to a head with Russiagate. And the claim that Russia's bots were dominating the social media platform and creating divisive issues that led people to vote for Trump and spread rumors about Hillary's damn emails. And because Russia had this unfettered access to the American public, we drug the CEOs of Facebook and Twitter and other companies in front of Congress and made them explain how they were going to fix their platforms, how they were going to save the democracy of America. And what they came up with was a censor system. Panels of experts that include CNN and others that would flag things as appropriate or inappropriate or as true or false with known biased individuals on those boards. In some companies' cases, single individuals making the decision. This has been an issue that's been rolling out across YouTube. It's been rolling out across Facebook. And of course, it's been rolling out across Twitter, amongst other places. 
It's even being hashed out almost in a more democratic style on platforms like Mastodon, where there are federated servers that have been banned and blacklisted because the overall group has decided we don't allow that kind of speech. This is a debate that is happening at every level of online society. And I would bet you there was this unfriendly alliance between the White House and the Twitter group. And it essentially went, (laughs) you don't screw with the president's tweets, you don't censor him, and we'll hold off the regulation. You mess with us, we've got this regulation bomb. We want access to the people, you don't want to be regulated, let's just all get along. But the immense pressure that Twitter has been under has finally caught up to them. And and it didn't just stop with that one or two, uh, it was actually two, tweets that they labeled as potentially inaccurate. They went even further to actually censor completely and hide up one of his tweets later on. No precedent in American history for so small a number of corporations to control so large a sphere of human interaction. Hours before that new censoring, Trump had this press conference at his desk in the White House. And that includes individual people controlling vast amounts of territory, and we can't allow that to happen, especially when they go about doing what they're doing because they're doing things incorrectly. They have points of view, and if we go by that, it's actually amazing that there was a success in 2016, but we can't let this continue to happen. It's very, very unfair. It's really kind of a catch-22 he's in, because he's often said that Twitter helped him win the election. He said that it's important for him to speak directly to the people. When he's been asked to please just stop tweeting, Mr. President, his argument has been that it connects him to the people. Now, all of a sudden, he has to argue that it's a bad thing. It was a success in 2016, but we can't let this continue to happen. It's very, very unfair. And you look at the statistics and you look at what is going on, and I think everybody would very much agree with that. Uh, including Democrats, by the way. I saw quite a few Democrats are saying this is about time something is done. So let's see if they keep that decision after they hear that we agree with them. The choices that Twitter makes when it chooses to suppress, edit, blacklist, shadow, ban, are editorial decisions, pure and simple. They're editorial decisions. That's where he's got them. I think that is true. You see, the regulations that were steved, is that the right way to put it? Parked, shelved, uh, wait, that were, um, they put a pin in them. They put a pin in the regulations and said, okay, well, instead of us regulating your platform as it is a public broadcast platform, if you take these steps to curb false information, then we don't need to get involved with private companies and any of that business. What the executive order begins to do is unroll that process. Now, the executive order that he's signing there in that press conference doesn't have a lot of teeth, to be honest with you. It sets up a couple of investigations. It does a few other things, but it does start that ball. And I'll make a red book right now for you. Here's a little prediction. The next president, whoever it is, will pick that ball up and continue it under different language, under different pretenses. But the balls that this starts rolling, they're probably multiple balls, lots of balls. I think these will ultimately continue into the next presidency, Trump or not. And we will lead to social media regulation because in a sense, by them censoring the president, they are acknowledging that they're a broadcast platform for the public and that they probably should be regulated by the same things that um, other like uh, communication mechanisms like television or radio would be regulated by. I hate that idea. To somebody who was uh, grown up on the internet, I hate that idea. Talk about the exact opposite of what the internet was ever meant for. Problem is, they fucked themselves. They started this ultimately when they begun the censorship. And I think, I think their censorship has not been universally applied. I'm a little biased because I think YouTube has been very creator hostile and my experience there has been horrendous. Almost every single episode of Unfilter has that we used that we used to post on YouTube underwent some kind of harassment by YouTube. And that was years ago. It's even worse now. 
But I think when Twitter and Facebook and YouTube started to begin labeling things as true or false, when they became the arbiters of what is truth, they began a process that is playing out now. This is just simply the next steps of that. They took a short-term bet when they got pulled in front of Congress and Russia, 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 Russia was thrown in their face. They panicked and they needed to give angry politicians something. And so this is what they did. Instead of playing the long game, they took the shortcut and they became the arbiters of truth. And in doing so, they ultimately created this process that leads them truly to be essentially a broadcast medium that has editorial call. And once you meet that threshold, he's got you. Now to Washington and President Trump tweeting his reaction to those protests overnight. Twitter then flagging his comments, saying the tweet violated rules about glorifying violence, escalating his showdown with the social media giant. Our senior White House correspondent Cecilia Vega is in Washington with more on this. Good morning, Cecilia. Amy, good morning to you. And this is short. We'll stop there. We don't need to hear her take on it because I want to give you uh, Zuckerberg's reaction, which um, I mean, other than smoking meats, I don't tend to agree with uh, old Mark. Now to the fight between President Trump and Twitter that escalated overnight. As we mentioned, the company flagged a presidential tweet about demonstrators in Minneapolis. This happened hours after Mr. Trump signed an executive order targeting Twitter and other social media platforms. A Twitter spokesman told CBS News, all we have to say about the response to the president overnight is in the tweet thread. Paula Reed is at the White House. Paula, how does the president justify this? order. Good morning, Anthony. The president claims that Twitter, a private company, is trying to censor him and he wants to use his power as president to crack down. But only Congress has the power to curtail Twitter's legal protections. What I think we can say is we're going to regulate it. The executive order targets liability protections, which shield companies from being sued for most of the content posted to their sites. The move came two days after Twitter, for the first time, added warnings to two of the president's tweets, inviting readers to get the facts. If it were legal, if it were able to be legally shut down, I would do it. But the president does not intend to stop tweeting and has done so dozens of times since being flagged on Tuesday. There's nothing I'd rather do than get rid of my whole Twitter account, but I'm able to get to... I guess 186 million people when you add up all the different accounts and uh, add Facebook and Instagram. You ever know anybody that was like so head over heels with somebody? Oh, they're so great. And they would just go on about how great this person is, how great this person is. And then they would break up. And then it was all about how awful that person is, how that person was horrible, how they were liars. That is so Trump with this situation. I mean, the guy lives and breathes on Twitter. He's on he's up 3 a.m. tweeting. Uh, He was up at 1 a.m. last night tweeting. And then now this, it's, um, it's really something to watch him do this. You can hear it in there too. Like he knows the reach. He's aware of the reach, but he's done with it. He, he, he'd shut him down. He said, I'd shut him down. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. Our president went from in a total love zone to I'd shut him down. If I could, I don't need that Twitter account. I'd shut him down. That's a radical shift. That's not a healthy shift. That's not a reasonable reassessment of a situation after some consideration and thinking. That's a manic shift. Six million people when you add up all the different accounts and uh, add Facebook and Instagram. But an executive order cannot change federal law. Legal experts say this move is effectively toothless. After the announcement, social media companies defended their platforms. In a statement, Facebook warned this would penalize companies that choose to allow controversial speech and encourage platforms to censor anything that might offend anyone. And Twitter called it a reactionary and politicized approach to a landmark law that would threaten the future of online speech and Internet freedoms. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the order is just meant to divert attention from the devastation brought by COVID-19. I see it as a distraction uh, from what is the challenge at hand. Can you believe this? This is the first time in this entire episode that COVID-19 came up. That's truly one of the more remarkable things about this moment. For several days, the media has shifted. The national conversation isn't about the coronavirus right now. 
that's a remarkable landmark for the coronavirus itself. Because genuinely, the media has talked about nothing else since the lockdowns began. Since they became reality, it's been COVID-19 all the time. COVID-19 24-7. They changed gears from the coronavirus. Now, will it stay? Will it stick? Will they just go back to it? I'm not sure. Probably. My bet would be yes. There's still death counts to talk about, so they'll talk about it. There's still people dying, so it's still a real story, so they'll go back to it. But this is a landmark in that broader story as well. When the media shifts gears like this, it's a big story, though. I guess that's sometimes what it takes. All right, well, that's it for me. I've got to go get cleaned up. I guess i got to put some clothes on, jump in the shower, get to work. But thank you for tuning in. I hope this episode was informational. Tried to get it out to you as soon as I could. I appreciate your support at patreon.com slash unfilter. That Discord again, unfilter.show slash Discord. We also have the slash subscribe, so you can just get these episodes. When I when I have something to publish, it just goes in the feed. So the best way to get those, don't watch the website, go subscribe. Unfilter.show slash subscribe. Or you can get it directly. It's just unfilter.show slash RSS. Put that into anything. It's just unfilter.show slash RSS. How simple is that? Anyways, I would say thanks for joining me next week, but who knows? I'm going to be on the road to Austin, but I'll be back here soon. Thanks for joining me. (laughs) 